Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, you had to be there, crappy quiz and a slight tangent. It's incredibly useful and why not do it just because you think it's agricultural. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Derek McNamara is back with us. Derek, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Derek. How are you? Another um, Welsh deadline day. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a bit depressing, really, isn't it? Mm. You know? it? It's mad they can't sort it out because there's so much money slushing around rugby that, um, you know. Anyway, there's, that, there's a whole hour-long um, conversation around that. Uh, I'm, I'm right. Like, I, I've been thinking about it on the way in and, I, like, you know, it's there's, there's kind of, like, issues there that could be resolved, you know. And But it's... The problem is, in reality, is is that we we need to start treating this like a professional sport. You know, like there's there's situations like this where they're coming up each time, and the old guard that are there that have been there since the amateur days are still there. In in all of the unions. Yeah, and they they need to move on and allow the new guard come through, and and you know the players the players themselves need to be much more involved in this situation themselves you know what are the um, what are the UK papers I don't want to misattribute it but they are making the point that this is the beginning of the player power which has happened in all professional sports and some professional sports have been really good at it and others haven't the PFA have managed to get a share of the TV revenue that is baked into all of their contracts and they also managed to get a share of the revenue that came from FIFA Mm. and so the players unions are really rich now what they've done with that money might not necessarily be uh great they spent a lot of money on art and they spent like massive amounts of money on their chief executive uh, so you would maybe argue that although they they won the money they um they didn't spend it very wisely but it'll be there for them in the future i've often wondered why aren't the rugby players a bit more active about their own health the concussion laws and their share of the pie yes but anyway look. No, but like it, it, it's that is that is quintessentially it like the other sports have done it it's, mm. it's naive of 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 rugby and people that are involved in rugby not to n- realize that other sports have done this like rugby league this has happened where 30 years after the implementation of professionalism there was a change it was the game evolved happens in American football every 10 years Player, players come to bargaining agreements yeah you can but, argue that they haven't done a very good job in American football either I, I, I don't think they have I think there's loads of things that, where they could have got a bigger share of the players pie at least those players have a seat at the table at least those players are there under that bargaining agreement so that they know how much of the piece of the pie is theirs and they are also there as a result of, of agreeing to what rules that are agreed upon around um, injuries or, you know, sites or fines, like like the Owen Farrell incidents. You know, at least at least that the players would have an agreement that that's how, what, if this person does this, that this fine is implemented. But, you know, all, all of this as well, you know, there's the things around the um, salaries, are going to come into question soon enough where, you know, the salary cap has remained, you know, questionable in most of these unions. And it's going to be amateuristic, you know, the way it is. It's, it's going to remain amateuristic. And it, you know, it wasn't that long ago that the American football salaries were, were, were quite, you know, were the same, in a similar situation. <clears throat> and it's only in the last 10 years has it become, oh, that player is getting this money over a certain amount of years. Yeah. So that, that all this is going to have to change, but the, the overall issue with rugby, you know, and like you just look at the Netflix situation. You know, the Netflix situation was it's a very similar situation where it's just you know, amateuristic views. Like I'm, I'm nearly positive that the the teams themselves would have editorial 
finish on that on any of that content that goes out. You know, the teams would have to give it the okay. So the idea that any anything would be shared or or, or you know lost is you know if it doesn't happen in cricket or tennis or N- or NFL or F one, it's not going to happen in rugby. Um. Let's talk about the Six yeah. Nations because yeah. that definitely we could we could spend a fair bit of time getting into that. Yeah. Um, so you, there's been a down week this week, an opportunity for you to compare and contrast all of the different teams. And um, what have you come up with for us this week? Yeah, I suppose um, I I think the, a piece around the um, uh, what was the six for Ireland that I did a couple of weeks ago. Peter Manny. Peter Manny, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Went down quite well, and it was like, oh, it was underutilised or underappreciated player. And what, what we did was, we, what we do is, we've, we've, we've been working really, really hard in trying to encapsulate everything that goes into the game and give it a, a weight towards, you know, specific positions. So second rows do this, you know, back rows carry more, but they also rook and they tackle. They don't do as much line hits. So what we've done is is that we've done this for uh, every single position and we've weighted it based on you know what what's important for that position. Um, and I think we've got a slide here just around the uh, second rows. So this is jersey number five. Um, basically what we've done here is all the uh, Six Nations, this is competition prior to and during Six Nations, we basically grade and rank each position um, based on the kind of core metrics. So... Um, rucking, carrying, tackling, line eights, passing, mall, turnovers. There's more than this, but that's that's the the basic of it. And when we we take all these kind of metrics, we we can then identify who's the best player at each position based on what they're doing and how well they're doing these things. Um, and James Ryan comes out on top, and you know he he's kind of a player that's kind of been lost a little bit amongst the the different. Um, players that are you know coming to the fore for Ireland you know but he's a real leader he looks after the line out he um, but it's the big thing that he's you know significantly improving or you know one of the main reasons why Ireland has improved is, is because of his tackling and because of his defensive um, impact on the game um, and this is just a slide that we've kind of come up with um, so it's tackle grade for, for, to, yeah. uh, we should maybe go back to the first one there yeah. just to, to show uh, him versus other people so in the first one it's um, you've got him at number one um, Chesham is number two Gilchrist of Scotland is three Roots of Italy is four Paul yeah. Willems of, of France is five uh, and the difference is, is uh, like so again I don't know what these grades mean fully but um, mm. James Ryan's 76.9 Chesham's 73.3 and Willemse is 70.1. So these grades, is that out of 100? It's out of 100. So in each each skill set, you start off with opportunity of getting 100. The closer you are to being at the top of each skill set, the closer you are to 100. So and the fact that um, James Ryan needs to kind of work a little bit on his on his rooking, for instance, or his decision-making at the rooking, if he's able to improve that, he, his overall grade will move up closer to that 100. Um, but the fact that he's number one at, at tackling and at line-out means there's a significant difference between him and the guys that are behind him. And so that 76 is a blended score of all the other constituent parts that make that up and that yeah. breaks down, cascades down. And we we do this for every position. So for the likes of um, centre, we would look more at carrying and, and tackling. While, you know, here we'd be looking at mauling and uh, line-outs. Obviously, we wouldn't want to do that for, for a centre or a full-back. But we, we were able to do this in all these different different ways. But, you know, if we go on to the next slide, then we can kind of just go into what, what the tackling grade is comes from. You know, so basically when we look at the tackle grade, <clears throat> we look at 
uh, tackle and grade. We look at the production. So how much of the tackling he's been involved in? Okay, so I'll just so yeah. this is uh, he's graded number one in in, in tackles, right? And yeah. your tackle grade has tackle production, contact point, gain line success, distance, frequency, and assist, and then. You grade each of those, and then yeah. they, they come together to give you your tackle grade. Yeah, so like for instance, the tackle point would be the, the we have the game line, and basically the player who uh, makes first contact uh, behind the game line the most, and we average out those those scores. We then that person then is the number one, and James is ranked number six. Game line success would be you know the, the ability of the opposition player to get back to the game line, or the defensive player to stop that player. He's ranked number eight. And then distance is the actual distance from contact to where the, the tackle ends. And James is 10th of, he's right in the middle of the pack. But then as frequency, we say <clears throat> how many tackles were on the pitch while James was on the pitch? How many of them were he, was he involved with? And then we give a ratio. Of, and then we then that way we can say what his ratio is like to all okay. of the players okay. at the same position. Uh, that, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that ratio is interesting because it yeah. means that, um, you know, if... if uh, it signifies your importance to the rest of the team as well that you're part of that yeah. that effort and you can actually be very important in that effort or you know because the team can not have many tackles because you can be dominating the game you can make three or four and look like um, you're amazing but otherwise if a team is making those tackles and you're also at least at your your average then I can see how that score begins to make sense yeah no and it's it's something that we do for for tackle for breakdowns for passing for kicking we we, we want to identify who are the players that are mostly impacting in the game same with malls as well mall is a big one where you don't have you know you only have one or two players Josh van der Fleer does it for Ireland where he takes the ball off the, the line of jumper and he's the guy that basically everything runs around in the mall but it's just that the, the, we want to try and represent the impact that each player is having on the game and you know it's not just about tackling it's not just about carrying it's not just about line out it's everything pulled together and in behind those skill sets and behind those numbers we then have another 20 different things that we're, we're taking into consideration Is it maybe even more impressive Ryan's stats given that France have been one of the the, the opposing teams like I don't know if they're weighted for, for, for opposition as such but the fact that he's played France already make those stats even more impressive yeah, we do we do weight it towards for at a team perspective, but when we do it for an individual, we, we do slightly put it in for for um for your opposition, but not not as much as we would for the team perspective. But um it's like the 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 individual players can only do what they're supposed to do once they're out in the pitch, if that makes sense. So James Ryan's pretty good. Yeah, it turns out he's he's pretty amazing. Well you got you, you got uh, Peter Mani a central contract based yeah. on the, the last conversation, so Yeah, I know I'm waiting James for Ryan's buzzing here. Waiting for that ten percent now, actually. You know? <laughs> I think we'll be waiting. But uh, no, like it's it's just I suppose the point of what we're trying to say here is, you know, and like you know, fans and and, and consumers and and people that are interested in this stuff, they can actually log into our website and actually, you know, interact with this data to a certain extent. Never Every agent in the world is suddenly like, oh, okay. I've actually had a few of them contact me in the I'm last sure. week or two. They're like, hey, what about this? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so it's all it's all going all moving forward anyway, going the right direction. Um, so, is there are there lessons to be learned apart from the fact that, like, you know, obviously you're explaining the bits, the constituent parts that make James Ryan the outstanding number five jersey. You were saying, yeah. Uh, over the course, is there anything else? Like, so the bit where it's beneficial is like if if you improve your rooking, is he like, well, actually, part of my role is not to be that person, or is it just here? These are the little work on. Well, so like with rooking is like 
again, we look at rook frequency, we look at rook arrival time, we look at rook accuracy, we look at rook... Um, okay, so there's constituent parts which maybe he could improve. Yeah, that's yeah. the benefit of this from, from their perspective. Exactly, and that's okay. that's what we... That's, that's our bread and butter, is, is helping players to identify specific areas of that they can work on. Because, you know, you, as a player, you, you know, these, this is non-biased information. We're not... We're not looking at any particular player or, or position and saying, "Oh, I think he, sh-, you know, I like that player." <laughs> mm. Something to do with that. It's it's more okay if if you want to understand where you are based on the other players that are at your position and how you could slightly improve and make small small incremental gains. Then you know, get in touch. Um, the next part is about game plans, right? Mm. And. Um, the patterns of play that have emerged over is it just, is it just the first two games of the Six Nations? Just right? first two games of the yeah. Six Nations, yeah, yeah. Right. So this has been this is this is something that we've been working on for the last number of months. We've been collecting lots and lots of data, but only now have we been able to start to actually use it and and try and tell a story uh, about what what teams are doing in different parts of the pitch. Um, so what 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 we do is we use the pitch position, we use the breakdowns, so where the breakdowns are happening. We use what direction the, the teams go in, and then um, average number of phases um, it per 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 phase until the, they either kick the ball away or they get the ball turned over. And what we're showing, trying to show here, is is that in uh, defensive positions, so basically anything within thirty meters or scoring your opposition scoring position, Ireland tend to to spread the ball quite wide. Um, they'll go through one and a half phases, and then they'll get rid of the ball. So this is in um, possession. This is in possession. So this is just just when when teams have possession in our own half, in our own twenty-two. Ireland do tend to spread the the ball quite wide when they do have it, and then they'll try and find out, or, you know, maybe bring a defensive player kind of up out of out of line to try and get more space in, in behind, and then they'll get rid of it. Um, Italy and Scotland, though, they will play with the ball a little bit more in their own half. And then they'll they'll spread the ball. Uh, like Italy spread the ball the widest, which is you know you can see that in and, the games. And sorry, you can you're saying that they play with it a bit more. You can tell that because they have more breakdowns. Yeah, because they have more breakdowns okay. in their own in their own twenty two, and you can see that in the game. You know they they're they're they're, they're playing out at their own half basically. Um, and then when we move to, to midfield, so basically we we take midfield as the same slice type of area and um, Ireland go from being one of the top kind of width player teams so passing the ball quite wide to being the lowest um, in the in the competition actually um, and they've also got kind of second fewest number of breakdowns in this area so what they're doing is they're they're getting the ball and they're getting the ball into attacking position or scoring position and they're not spending too much time in the in the middle middle bit middle area okay um do you expect there to be significant changes as games three, four, and five get layered into this? No, I don't. Um, I think you, you, what you'll find is is certain teams will tr- will, will um, hone in on what they're trying to do, and and more players will become more aware of what what they're supposed to do in each part of the position of the of the pitch. But in reality, I, I, I these rugby isn't at the stage where teams are able to implement different game strategies mid game. You know, it's not. It's not like the NFL. It's not like different sports. Is there an element of game flow though that you don't anticipate? Like if 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 um, France had had a load of pressure on Ireland in R twenty two, and it was taking us ages to get out. Mm. If they were better at that, would that have shown up, and we would have ended up having more breakdowns just by virtue of the fact that France were showing us 
a picture in defence that was like, I don't like that. I'm going to wait a while. I don't like that. I'm going to wait a while. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not not directly involved with any teams, so I don't I don't actually know what they're trying to do. We we can just basically measure what's going on in the game right now. So this is the past. evidence of the game plan so far. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, they, teams don't tend to change their style or the way in which they play. They more tend to okay. Every the the, the more accurate the data is, the more the game plan has been implemented and is understood by the rest of the team. So, so it's a positive thing that we're spending less time in the midfield area. Like we're not wasting time in areas of the pitch where we're less likely to score, essentially. Yeah, correct. Like you can see Italy, Italy have the highest number of, of breakdowns in the midfield area. And that's their game plan. Their their, their game plan is, is, oh, like if we get a, a um, you see it, if they get a, a um, Sorry, penalty. penalty. Yeah, advantage. Sorry, advantage. Okay. They'll continue playing on. They won't just take the penalty. A lot of teams will stop and slow down and take the kick. But with Italy, they'll continue on. So they'll build pressure. They're trying to build pressure. They're trying to wear you down. Exactly. It's a lot of work for a little reward. Though. I was going to say, it feels yeah. a little bit like they're stuck in midfield. And, and exactly. And that and, and their their biggest issue is is that they're 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 two or three players short of having a really good team. And then when the, once those, that ball gets to those players, unfortunately things break down. Players make a small mistake, and that small mistake means then that everything else falls apart. You know, until so. they get Garbisi back this weekend and stuff Ireland. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, well, they were pretty good at midfield this week, uh, and all of a sudden, mm. yeah. So then I suppose um, what, what we're trying to show here is is you know that the average number of phases starts to tick up as we go into midfield. So you know we're we're in the one one to to you know late ones number of phases teams will go through and then you know in midfield teams are going through around two phases um, to Italy that go through around 3.7 phases in this area so we can see teams starting to try and implement and, and implement their game plan in these areas um, but then when we get into kind of scoring attack and, and in your oppositions kind of just outside your 22 um, this is where Ireland you know really try to start to come come, come good Um we can see that they have the most amount of breakdowns in this area. So basically, we're talking about um, we, we split the attack into kind of two areas. We've got our goal line attack, which is around anywhere within around 12 to 15 metres of the goal line. Red zone. Red zone. Yeah, well, I don't know. I like colour green zone myself. Whatever, because it's yeah. like, you know, it's, it's where we, we, we need to be tuned that's in. What, that's what people will understand. About. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then anything kind of behind, behind that, kind of just before the 22 and, you know, in between kicking zone, this is where Ireland like to spend you know, a lot of their time. What they do is they try to build pressure. They've got quite a narrow attack. So, you know, the second lowest um, uh, attack location, but they have the most amount of uh, phases of all. Um, so they've got, they go through 7.7 phases. And what that do is that's building pressure that's, that's trying to, to cause mistakes by the defence, get, get them the advantage so that then they can try and implement their play. Their or it's play. getting over the try line four times and being held up. Yes. Well, we so there's, a, there's swings yeah. and roundabouts for this too, though, right? Yeah. Like if, if we thought that Italy were getting um, choked up in midfield, we're getting a bit choked up here. Is, is there an efficiency? No, well, we, we, we have our most amount in the in the red zone. So in the, the t- goal line zone, we have 89. In here, we have 57. So what we're saying here is is that they, they'd like to put the teams under pressure. They like to, to play in this area. They like to actually go to the phases and, and, and very hold narrow, the ball. Which we've yeah. seen. It's a, it's like This is the evidence of your eyes. Is like There's pick and go, pick and go, pick and yeah. go, pick and go at the goal. And we're very rarely where we're, you know, 
James Lowe standing on the sideline. Come on, come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can come see on. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, yeah, and that's and but then in, when we get to the actual goal line, we can actually see Ireland go through the number of phases. But also they, so we have a, a direction counter basically. If, if a player goes one way and then he goes another way, he goes again and again. We we basically keep counting until he goes back the opposite direction. Okay. And then we say, okay, when we average up those, we can then identify whether or not teams are playing in certain directions or not and we can see Ireland Ireland do do play in a certain direction so we'll hammer away when we think there's a weakness there we'll keep hammering yeah keep hammering in the same direction and yeah. do we want to keep the ball in play for as long as possible akin to the French game against Italy yeah yeah that's the way Ireland going to play now you know the, and <clears throat> I think that's that's where the game will be won and lost I definitely think on Saturday um, you look at the Look, you look at the way in which Italy played or France played against them in the first game, and they just they, they played to their strengths. You know, they kicking the ball out of play, letting their line out set, letting them run nice lines directly off first phase. That's not the way to play Italy. The way to play Italy is, is keep them in play, keep them under pressure. You know, make them make mistakes, and then you know put the points on late in the second half. Um, we didn't ask you to do any work on the France Scotland game, but instinctively, mm-hmm. do you think Scotland have any chance of turning France over? Uh, give us two seconds. <laughs> I can tell you now. Um, I I I do I do, but um, it's going to be tough. Like I think Scotland probably have a couple of cracks. I think France are there for the taking, though. You know, like they haven't been what they they were the last couple of games. Um, yeah, like they're they're front five are where they're they're better. You know, definitely they're they're they're. Scotland are much better than them in their their front five. Um, their halfbacks are not as good, even though Finn Russell does grade quite well and he had a very good game the last game. He's very hit and miss, and you know it, it, it's hard to tell whether or not he's a strength or a weakness of Scotland a lot of, in a lot of the games he plays in because you know if if he's put under pressure, you know, he always makes that skip past. He, he can be he can be taken advantage of. For players like that, this level of analysis and data would be really, really useful. The, um, on the football pod this week, they were talking about the the use of the word mercurial and how it's never a really good thing. Ultimately, <laughs> Don't if you know what that means, here. if you're the player who's being described <laughs> as mercurial, um, there's an inbuilt understanding that flakiness will result from pressure. Yeah. Um, but that you're capable of doing stuff that nobody else can do. Mm. If, if like as a 17, 18, 19 and 20 year olds there was a every time you do this it results in this yeah. and somebody sat down and said I mean uh, this is just it, it's evidence based it might knock a few of the rough edges off some of those mercurial players yeah yeah well that's that's exactly why I'm doing this you know it's why we're doing this is to, to identify those players that work well under pressure you know the, the 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 last slide that we showed around the game plan that's only the kind of start of what we're doing we, we, we also understand how pressure affects teams and individuals and passing you know we, we identify every pass we identify the pressure of that player under that situation so under, understanding players that do that on under, under 20s and, and schools you know we'll, we'll find those players that are like kind of like this rather yeah. than the players that yeah. get to 20 and they don't want to play rugby anymore because um, they're burnt out so uh, last question Ireland are going to beat Italy yeah I think they're going to beat them reasonably well. I'd say you'll see a similar situation um, where we we go through the first twenty minutes figuring it out. But even with Ross Byrne in for Sexton, it, the yep. 
the drop off is no longer as significant or as pronounced as it used to be? Um, I just think we have too many good players. Um, is it Dan Sheen come back as well? Well, he might be on the bench. Yeah, but like he's he's a phenomenal ball carrier. You know, he takes that step every time he gets that ball. Yeah, gets over the game line. It's funny. It's one of those uh, things in world sport that you know is coming but can't stop the Dan Sheen step because <laughs> yeah. yeah. he steps and you're like, oh, I'm going to attack him. Then yeah, smashes you. Like, yeah, and and also he's faster than nearly everybody else, which is you know you don't you don't see that. But I yeah I think I think you'll see. I hope the Wales game goes ahead. I really do. Mm. But whether right. it does or not is another question. Very good stuff. Thanks very much. For more, check out reactrugby.com. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.